at the end of the day, I, I made it out. I went to, I would listen to four hours a day of AA or recovery related things. I would go to one or two meetings a day. You know, the first week I was in, you know, sweats, night sweats, because my body was trying to, you know, get the alcohol out of it and the recovery of those that, I mean, I wanted to die. My body was covered in bruises from blackout falling and I was mortified and ashamed. And I felt like I couldn't even look at anyone. And the crazy thing is I am sober now a little over two years. Congratulations. Thank you. My business has turned around. I am happily married. My husband and I are both sober now. Um, My children are happy and thriving. Again, my business is thriving. But it was, I think the thing that set this recovery and this part of my, my sobriety and journey apart is, you know, not to sound cliche, but I, you're ready when you're ready. I was finally ready. And I had to have this spiritual awakening and shift in mind and first and foremost, love myself. Welcome to Sober is Dope. Sober is Dope is not affiliated with AA or any 12-step program. We support people's right to drink and have fun. We believe in a live and let live approach to sobriety. This show is intended to highlight the benefits of a sober life. We want to encourage healing and transformation. This show is for anyone that is struggling with alcohol, drugs, or addiction of any kind. I am Pop Buchanan. I am a recovering alcoholic. I am proud to share my story. Welcome to Sober is Dope. survivor of early childhood trauma and recovered alcoholic, April looked to shatter the stigmas and shame that surrounds both these experiences. At the ages from two to five years old, she was sexually molested, starved, and beaten. After enduring these life-altering experiences that many people could not even fathom, she went on to struggle emotionally in life for quite some time. This truly displayed itself later in her adult life through addiction and other toxic relationships and behaviors. Her purpose now is to be a voice for those suffering, to shed light on abuse, recovery, and the journey that it takes to dig through the pain and wreckage they both cause. She believes the veil needs to be lifted on the prevalence of sexual abuse on children as well as sex trafficking. Survivors of abuse deserve a voice, and victims need to be helped. In her podcast, she talks about the shame cycles and how they can dictate a survivor's life and how they can break the cycle. Abuse recovery success is a tool for those survivors as well as those with addiction to find themselves and hear their story being told. We talk about what's going on in the world and how to handle any struggle to not only move forward, but reach our goals and help others. It's about taking your life back from your abuser and from the substance that bound you in chains. You find the power that lies deep within you and you shine that light for others to follow. April's mission is to bring others to healing and in turn find themselves and living a truly inspired life because of it. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Sober is Dope. I'm your host, Pop Buchanan, and I am extremely excited to be back with another powerful guest today. 
In today's episode, we're going to be breaking the stigma on childhood abuse, abuse, and also sex trafficking and trauma. We have a special guest, April Hill, who is totally candid and honest about her journey in recovery from both childhood trauma and addiction recovery. And ladies and gentlemen, this is a call to action. I mean, look for charities that support and rescue women and children and um, that are victims of child trafficking. Really look into what we can do to support children um, of abuse and anyone that may be struggling from abuse and women in abuse abusive relationships. I think this is a subject that we need to really start vocalizing more, breaking the stigma on and the shame associated with it. A lot of victims carry this shame throughout life. And this is a really important topic. And I'm so excited. Our guest today, April Hill, is a little bit over two years sober she rehabilitated her life and everything to a point of success. She's running a successful business. She has a beautiful family and she's doing everything in her power to rewrite the narrative and to change the narrative of her personal story. And instead of being a victim and having a victim mindset, she has a victorious mindset and April is extremely inspirational. It's a big win for the Sober as Dope podcast to have a guest on that has this level of experience and can so eloquently kind of like just guide us through the maze of her journey. And I'm so excited. I learned a lot today. So this episode is a learning experience for me. And I just want to thank April Hill and her team for uh, taking the time out to join us today to talk about abuse recovery. April is the host of the Abuse Recovery Success Podcast. So check her out. And with no further ado, ladies and gentlemen, please enjoy my episode and emotional talk with April Hill. And I'll catch you guys on the other side. Thank you. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Sober is Dope podcast. I'm your host, Pop Buchanan, and I'm extremely excited today to have our special guest on, April Hill. April Hill is the host of the Abuse Recovery Success podcast, and April is going to be talking to us today about her personal recovery journey in relationship to abuse and how she overcame that abuse. So we are very excited on the Sober is Dope podcast. April, how are you today? I'm fantastic, Pop. Thanks for having me on your show. I'm really excited to be here. April, man, thank you so much. Um, I'm so excited for all the work you and your team is putting in to spread awareness on abuse and recovery. Um, I'm, I'm so we're excited and pumped that you're here. For the listeners out there, can you tell us a little bit about your journey, how you, you know, what led to your addiction, how you got sober, just your personal origin story. You can start wherever you want, but we're interested to hear your story on how you got to this point to where you could use your platform to help people recover from abuse. Yeah, thanks, Pop. I appreciate that. You know, uh, the thing I want to share most with others, listeners, people who have suffered abuse, um, you know, people who have gone through addiction, is the ability to find out who you really are through the wreckage and the pain of your past. And for all of us, that can look extremely different. For some of us, that is addiction, and, and the journey through addiction itself brings shame and so much pain. But for me, my journey really started you know, at a very, very early age, um, suffering extreme childhood abuse. I, you know, my story is a dark one. And, you know, I would definitely, you know, say that this could be a trigger alert, you know, for others. But um, at an early age, uh, really from the age two to five, I was molested and 
um, abused physically, verbally, emotionally. And, um, you know, I also had food withheld from me. Uh, I was kept in a closet for stretches at times. Um, and, you know, that all blurred together. And part of the pain um, and recovery from that abuse is the fact that I don't have full memories. I would say I probably have, you know, it's almost like it comes in and shatters and ekes through like almost sometimes I have memories where I can still see the slats of the closet door that I was being entrapped in and, you know, losing track of time. But, you know, the abuse is real. And I often tell people I've endured things that most people couldn't watch. And that is my reality. And not to skip ahead in a way, Pop, I'm going to tell you that, you know, for a lot of us, I can relate it to abuse. We're going through abuse and we try to block out things, but the reality is abuse can be so dark that you feel like you've seen the inside of hell. Mm, and it, 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 I think when we live in this day and age and sometimes we get caught up in the fluff of the world and day-to-day -day minor problems, we forget that there's a real darkness out there yes. and that you can find that darkness in people. And unfortunately, um, you know, I, my father was the abuser for me and um you know like i said it went on from two to five it was really tough and from there after he was out of the picture and i went through the court systems um you know i was still with my mother and my grandmother but that was another dysfunctional home front and situation that was really uh, difficult to navigate my mom suffered mental illness as well as depression and you know, some things that happened with her that I don't have full uh, access to my memory on. And, you know, for whatever reason, I can't access it fully. And I've accepted that for at least this part of my journey. But um, in and out of my house, you know, I tried to stay a lot with friends and I never felt like I fit in. Um, one story that I've shared with my own listeners before was just that this, there was this moment in time where I had been sick a lot after, shortly after the abuse, seven, eight years old. And they were taking me to different doctors and trying to figure out what was wrong with me because I was yeah. physically ill. And I overheard the doctor and my mom talking and them saying, you know, she might have an autoimmune disorder. We don't know what's wrong with her. She might have AIDS. And I remember as a little girl, we were driving home from the doctor's office and I was like, oh my God. I, I really, in my head, thought I had contracted AIDS, because you know, you watch TV, you kind of know what goes on, uh, from my Cabbage Patch dolls, because, oh, part, of, yeah, because part of my story of abuse is, and what happens to children when they go through molestation is they act out with their dolls, there's play acting, you don't know what to do with what happened to you, so while I was experimenting and doing weird things with my dolls, that ended up you know, creating such a shame and a fear that my mom wasn't going to love me anymore if she found that out. And I was bad and wrong and unworthy. And why I'm really digging into this is because that feeling, and I'll go back to the journey, is exactly what addiction did to me. Okay. Um, yes. yes. It like created this parallel. So I'm getting goosebumps telling it to you right now, Pop, because at the end of the day, I'm in this horrible space as a small child, feeling like everyone who saw me knew I was, you know, dirty, wrong, bad, not worthy. And um, I went through, you know, most of my elementary years just being very reclusive, not having any friends, being sick most of the time and just depressed. I used to get ulcers and stomach aches when the school bus would come. I just, I couldn't even face reality in life. And, you know, I can't tell you what happened, but there was this one day, I think I was looking at my mom who was super sickly and I just decided I didn't want to be sick anymore. Mm. And I can tell you since that day, I think I was in sixth grade, I probably get one or two colds a year, maybe. Yeah. And I don't believe in headaches, so I just don't get them. And I know that can sound a little kooky, but <laughs> I do believe we have a, a powerful, powerful mind and brain and soul. And when your mind and brain and soul is sick, it manifests through the body in many different ways. 
So there was this moment in sixth grade, for whatever reason, I can't tell you what triggered it, that I just decided to take a little bit of my life back. And I stopped being sick all the time. And, you know, I had some social issues. I was in anger management. Um, I had these moments where I would just break and snap um, and have to throw something. And I just had this rage inside of me that I didn't know what to do with because it was the little girl trapped in a closet that had been used and abused that would flare up and just come out sometimes out of nowhere. And, you know, I went through therapy. I tried to process all of that. Fast forward, um, I had grown up in Hawaii and we moved to, my mother, grandmother and I, we moved to uh, Tucson, Arizona. Mm, and sorry. Tucson, Arizona, kind of a, honestly, we didn't have much money, shit town, and we lived there and I quickly um, got into drugs. You know, I was a freshman and, you know, I wanted to fit in and, you know, at first it was just mostly pot and then, um, you know, it, it progressed into like a little bit of acid. You know, it's funny because for me, like you always know when someone's a partier because they're like, you know, it wasn't that bad. But I mean, right. it, I was using, but n like functionally, I suppose, occasionally a harder drug, but predominantly marijuana. Didn't love alcohol. So often when you're in the rooms of AA, if that's what you choose to use for recovery, um, you know, I hear people say, you know, uh, that first drink, I was off to the races. Um, I've never had that feeling. I can okay. relate to so much that other people have shared, but I was not a huge fan of alcohol. Um, my big drug of choice was marijuana and I was high all the time though. So, I mean, you know, if I could get high right when I woke up, right after school, you know, before I worked, we didn't have much money. So I worked, you know, every day after school, most days after school but I went to work high. Um, and, you know, I think I got into that pattern of escaping me. Mm. At the end of the day, I always wanted to escape me and I liked to numb out. And I liked that feeling of freedom that something, some substance brought to me. And I dabbled with some drinking, but, and definitely got drunk here and there. I think like maybe some high school kids do, but it wasn't my passion. Um, and then really from there, I went off and, you know, I, I made some bad relationship decisions in high school. I didn't have a functional high school boyfriend. That was kind of a twister, semi-abusive at times. And from there, I met my daughter's father right on my graduation night of high school and um, ran off, got married, got pregnant. He ended up changing his mind when I was six months pregnant and I was a, a single mom on my own. And throughout, you know, the duration of my drinking career, I have three children. I have a 19 year old, a 15 year old and a seven year old. Throughout having children, there were moments and times and stretches of some sobriety. But I would say, you know, I always lean towards the party girl. And, you know, if I could escape, if I could get away, get to the party, I would. And definitely there were times in my 20s when my daughter was little um, that, you know, I picked partying over her. I got involved with some strange characters and life was a little bit upside down, to say the least. And I was always willing to try something. Like, I didn't really ever develop too much of a drug problem, but if I was drinking, I would try it. You know, you okay. want to put a line in front of me, I'll do it. Um, and that kind of progressed and I'd back off, get in, back off, but I was always kind of wild and I was proud to wear that title. I was proud mm. to be wild. Yes. But at the end, like a rebel, you know? Yeah, yep, absolutely. And, and that was that part of me. I really believe relating back to the abuse again, fighting back. And you know, all I can say is it got worse and it got worse and it got worse for me. You know, I drank harder and, you know, my husband now I met when my daughter was a year and a half and we've had a very up and down back and forth relationship. And at the end of the day, there was a stint in time where we both, you know, partied a lot and that definitely affected my life. Um, and I think, you know, for me, I was always not good at putting it down. I think other people can go about their business and, you know, maybe party a little bit and then get back to real life. And for me, I really just got sucked into it. Um, and I would say, gosh, 
there were signs of alcoholic and alcoholism and blackouts and doing some embarrassing things all throughout my 20s. I mean, I passed out at my wedding um, at the dinner table in a drunken blur. Uh, there was lots of that. DUI, I mean, I don't mean to gloss over it, but for me, the really rough time was really when I was in my early 30s. It just really snowballed. Uh, we had We had a lot of issues in our marriage and it got to the point where I started to become physically addicted to alcohol. And, you know, I wasn't a very good person. I didn't have my priorities right. My children were not the most important thing to me. Uh, drinking and partying was. And it was like, if you could watch yourself just fade away. And yeah. lose everything you ever wanted to be. And not even be able to look in the mirror and you know we got to this point where i was having issues in my relationship and i i was drinking a lot we had just went back to arizona and i even attempted to kill myself um with the use of just i was really drunk and i tried to take a lot of vicodin just tons of them and it didn't work i ended up passing out but i woke up the next morning and i was the most ill I've ever been. Just, oh my God, the vomiting, everything, and just uh, like the near death feeling. And I just didn't want to be alive anymore. I didn't have respect for myself. I didn't, I didn't feel okay. And, you know, I continued to drink a little bit more. And then at that point, I went off to a rehab facility. Mm, and okay. Um, I went to Sierra Tucson, which I loved. It was probably one of the best experiences of my life. Of course, I didn't really want to go. Getting in there, I was super terrified. It was really, really rough, but um, the facility changed my life in a lot of positive ways. And I'll tell you this, Papa, during my stay there, you know, I get really upset when they would do that um, relapse uh, prevention. And I'd be like, uh -huh. I don't know why they're doing this. I'm first time, last time, like mm. I'm done with this. Like I've got this, this is crazy. Why would they promote this? This is ridiculous. I mean, I could not be more against this. Yeah. And I stayed 37 days. I worked it really hard. I was very present. I gave it everything. And when I got out, I got on on Christmas Eve. During the course of my stay in rehab, my husband had uh, sold our house and taken custody of the kids, tried to have me served while I was there. And um, it was like horrible. I got out on Christmas Eve. I had to stay in a hotel mm -hmm. and I went straight to an AA meeting. Oh, um, yeah, went to a dinner by myself and picked up some presents for my kids and then waited. And you know, I was able to go and see them the next day. And um, from there, you know, I ended up fighting to get them back. I willingly dropped for alcohol testing to have ethanol tested. So that way I could prove that no matter what anyone said, the moment I got out, I was sober. Correct. Um, we do that every couple of days and I did that. And I, I really tried to work a program. You know, I did go to meetings. I found a sponsor and I don't know. I don't know what to tell you, Pop, but at the end of the day, it didn't work out for me. I, I held six months sober okay, and I went back out and it was crazy. I was starting to date my husband again and, it, you know, again, and love him to death. And he at that time was still partying, but not regularly. And, yeah. you know, I was around those people. And I remember one night we were out and you know, somebody put a pill in his pocket and long story short, I said, I should have half of that pill, you mm, know, because yeah. I never had a problem with ecstasy. I only had a problem with alcohol, you know, Correct. so I'm, that's what I'm telling myself. Yeah. That's the, the demons talking. But so I ended up um, going back out. And the crazy thing is I, I drank almost normally for a year. I probably would have like one or two drinks a couple times a week for maybe six months and it was last six months, you know, maybe three nights a week, you know, maybe mm. once a month getting a little bit drunk, um, maybe one blackout. And then that second year, oh my God, off to the races. Like I, the downward spiral, I cannot even imagine. 
the depths of my alcoholism to the end of that second year back out um, rewinding a bit I bought a business right after getting out of rehab um, we had you know split a lot of our finances and I decided to buy my med spa salon spa okay so that second year I almost put it out of business um, in drinking and I honestly can tell you if I hadn't stopped maybe even a month longer I probably would have lost it and I had to work my ass off to keep it but long story short um, I, I went back out that last few months I was shaking in the morning dry heaving um, drinking vodka to get right in the morning, you know, drinking one mimosa, two screwdrivers, then going to work, um, blacking out all the time, drunk all the time, uh, you know, red dots around my liver area and my stomach, you know, just uh, not functioning at all, making horrible mistakes, you know, embarrassing myself left and right. And I had some kind of affinity for going out around my business so that people all thought of me as a lunatic. Um, it was horrible. I, and, you know, the thing I really had to learn in getting sober this, this last time was that not, I, I was so used to being ashamed and that relates back to my abuse. Like at the end of the day, when you go through trauma like that, you, there's a part of you that's always comfortable in a deep shame spiral. And I never really thought I was very valuable. I didn't really love myself very much. Mm. I don't know that I even forgave myself for a lot of the things that happened to me and that I've done. And I, and I was in such a dark space. I finally, on August 3rd, 2018, um, I had, was about to lose the business. I was in complete financial distress. My kids barely wanted to talk to me again. Um, I, I, crawled into the rooms of AA. My, well, my old sponsor, they 12-stepped me out of a bar, took me to the emergency room. My alcohol level is like a 0.39. I was walking around. Um, you know, it, it was pretty bad and I had to detox on my own. I couldn't afford with business to go into some kind of rehab where I wouldn't have access to my computer and be able to do payroll and things like that. So um, at the end of the day, I, I made it out. I went to I would listen to four hours a day of AA or recovery related things. I would go to one or two meetings a day. You know, the first week I was in, you know, sweats, night sweats, because my body was trying to, you know, get the alcohol out of it and the recovery of those that, I mean, I wanted to die. My body was covered in bruises from blackout falling and I was mortified and ashamed. And I felt yeah. like I couldn't even look at anyone and the crazy thing is i am sober now a little over two years congratulations my, thank you my business has turned around i am happily married my husband and i are both sober now um my children are happy and thriving again my business is thriving but it was i think the thing that set this recovery and this part of my my sobriety and journey apart is you know not to sound cliche but I, you're ready when you're ready i was finally ready and i had to have this spiritual awakening and shift in mind and first and foremost love myself again and forgive myself for some of the things that happened to me as a child mm. as well as what happened to me as a grown-up and what i've done to others and <clears throat> my sponsor said a very powerful thing to me she said you have to realize april that you know you that little girl like that didn't happen to you because you were you it would have happened to any little person in that moment like your abuse isn't your fault and you know much like we talk about in recovery addiction isn't anyone's fault and you know i believe it's a disease and i i can't tell you all the reasons why but many things added up to make this you know, what I believe and hope and pray and work daily uh, towards being my final stint of sobriety because I couldn't be more free and happy. And I can't believe that I'm the person I always wanted to be. Oh. Like I never thought I actually would be, but I get to be someone that people respect. And the, the one thing 
that keeps me, there's a lot of things that keep me sober, but one thing that really keeps me sober is people don't look at me with that look they used to look at me with anymore. And I think a person in recovery can hear that because people used to look at me with such pity and disdain, disgust, you know, whatever the different looks are. And people don't look at me that way anymore. And I don't want anyone to look at me that way again. And that little girl that went through all that she did doesn't deserve to have an adult life filled with mm. horror and shame. Amen. So Amen. that's my story, Pop. That's Oh, my- man. Uh, um, thank you. That's an amazing story. And I swear I could say, like, Every time you was hitting another point, I was saying to myself, I could relate, I could relate. And you're truly not alone. That may be a cliche, but the whole point of our podcast and everything given back is to let people know what you've been through or what you're going through or what someone else may be going through. Look, you're not alone. You're not in this by yourself. And I think you were courageous because your early childhood abuse, going through that much trauma at such a young age can do a lot. It could do a number on people, right? And they say, you know, they had this whole phrase with the Tibetan monks, show me seven years and I'll show you the man or the, the lady, like meaning that your first seven years of life is where all your subconscious programs come from. So, you know, or you was, you was afraid, you know, trapped and going through all of this abuse and it played out, it manifested itself through addiction, through abusing yourself, these blackouts, and a lot of it was just trauma. It's just this extreme form of trauma that affects the brain and the mind, and it's not your fault. And a lot of people who suffer from intense and dramatic abuse, they tend to feel that way. Like, it's my fault, it's something I could have done. Or, and if you're a child, you probably can't even articulate those type of thoughts. You're just feeling everything. Everything is internalized, right? You feel like you can't share. You feel like you're going to be judged and scrutinized. So, one, I just want to say, um, you know, I, I commend you for your strength. I'm sorry that happened to you as at such a young age or at all. Um, abuse is definitely tough and you're a champion looking at you. You're so strong and vibrant. And, you know, the one testament I could give you and testimony I could give you about yourself is when we met online and I just look at your profile and all your pictures and stuff. And all I saw was life. All I saw was positive vibrations and beauty and, and healing. And you look great. It was no signs. Like, so you're such a champion. You beat everything, right? Because you, you're not wearing it on your sleeve, even consciously or subconsciously. You, over, you transcended the, that whole thing. And look, we fighting every day. Two years of recovery is a magical time. Um, I remember blacking out. I remember falling on my um, face. I have one of my greatest stories is the Christmas Eve when I went into re when I first was able to, it was Chris, no Christmas day. I was in rehab and I had to reconnect back with my family. I was five days in five, you know, I found, I looked, started to look better, feel better. I had to go back into the world and start my journey. So my journey started eight years ago, but you know, that, uh, that abuse, that I was experiencing was self-inflicted and I was dealing with too much on my own depression, feeling like I was not worthy, right? Unworthiness, um, shame and guilt. That's the number one thing. You mentioned something that I love on your podcast, shame cycles. And, and for me, the shame is what kept me in the addiction because I would try to get sober, then I'll relapse. And then I'll feel terrible. And I just feel like I'm such a loser. And I will feel like there's nothing that I could ever do to really beat this thing. And I just felt like I was trapped. There was no way out, right? And someone in your case, I know it was discouraging when you had that relapse. And then you went to another two years. You try to live with the addiction normally. All right, I'm going to try to casually drink. I got this under control. Deep down, I'm sure you felt that it was just one drink away from going haywire. But you was trying at that point in your own way. You was trying to cut back and mitigate me, I had no chill and no trying. My addiction was so crazy. It's like, once I started, I went all, I couldn't stop. It was the highest extreme of addiction in my case. Like, the way I was wired, I think the depression, the anxiety, and the fact that I was allergic to alcohol, like you are, um, once I started, I couldn't stop. It was just like, 
And then I couldn't talk to no one about it. All right. I just had to feel, I had to deal with this on my own. And I think now we are, so the topic of sobriety is truly trending in a positive way where I hope people could feel like they could, they can talk about it. Right. You don't have to suffer in the closet on your own. It's that same closet that we saw you suffered in when you was a kid, that that Mm -hmm. abuse closet, right? A lot of adults, a lot of people in life are suffering right now. So what I want to talk to you about, because one, I would say this, you, you, you wrapped up your story in such a complete, beautiful, poetic way. And I want to thank you for that, because I think you tapped on everything and everyone is going to get extreme value from that. So thank you. I just want to touch on a few more points. Can we talk about shame cycles and how shame plays with on the abuser? Like, how does it shame affects the abuser, the addict? And how does that keep us from our blessings, so to say? Yeah, I, I mean, the shame cycle is, I believe, one of the most vicious parts of both abuse and addiction. But, you know, I, for me, the shame cycle that I went through, you know, it was played out in every dynamic of my life. So like, you know, my shame cycle worked even as a younger kid with the anger management. And, you know, I had to be in an anger management class. I I broke things. I was embarrassed. I went into a shame cycle. Like, it's almost, I'll I'll kind of skip to this. So when I was in Sierra Tucson, they have all this medical uh, side to them as well, too. So they had like a neurologist, people that would strap your, you know, up and check your mind and see how everything's working. And there was this neurologist that tested my brain scans and they hook you up and they do different stimuli and you know I'm laying there and the guy says to me he says oh wow and I say oh my god I'm thinking this is a crazy good facility and they have like people in a suicide ward so like when he says oh my god what is he seeing in my brain right now and I was like what are you seeing and he's like well nothing he's like you hit all five markers for PTSD I said what does that mean he goes well I'll put it to you this way. It's like most like military vets, people that have been through war, they will hit two, three, maybe four, but you rarely ever see somebody hit five. And he said, and it's because your trauma happened at such an early age, exactly what you were talking about, Pop, that two to five, that's when your brain's wiring. Mm -hmm. And he said, your brain, you don't respond to things the way the rest of the world does. He said, you have a whole different system. And he kind of explained it. I won't bore you with the details, but long story short, fast forward, I'm in day-to-day life with people. And, you know, I would do things that would put myself in a shame cycle from an early age. I'd say the wrong thing, embarrass myself, act out in rage. Fast forward in the addiction, you know, all I wanted was people to like me and to fit in. And like, I'll give you an example. I'd go to a wedding and I would be so upset about how much the father of the bride loved her. And they'd be dancing around and he genuinely wanted to protect her and care about her. And after what happened to me, and I felt like I must be disgusting and the worst thing and no one will ever love me like that. And I'd get drunk and ruin the party or, you know, do whatever this, and then I'd wake up and feel even worse. Right. I'd wake up and I'd be like, not only do I not have a father that loves me, um, but now everyone at that wedding hates me and thinks I'm a train wreck, you know, because I was acting weird, got drunk, blacked out. So again, in the shame cycle, I think it's just, you've got to recognize that again, those things didn't happen to you because of anything you did and you're not at fault. And whether that thing is addiction and a disease and an allergic reaction to a chemical, um, you know, then that's not your fault either. And of course we all have a part in this and we have to do what we can to get better and get well. But I think, you know, for me, the shame cycle, it comes with, you know, helping others help somebody else, because if you can help somebody else, you might be able to look in the mirror the next day. And it's those little tiny steps of giving back and being a better person that start to help. And then lastly, what I'll say is, you know, whether you have a higher power or not, I do. And mine's kind of God based, kind of my own thing. You know, what I did for myself is I, I almost staged my little girl self with my higher power and and let that higher power tell her she's worthy and that she's okay. And she's going to be okay now. And then part of what I do every day is I think of armor being put on myself, especially in the beginning of getting sober. Like 
put the armor on, like God, my higher power is putting the armor on me because he has things for me to do. And that's what got me, like, I've got to help people. I've got to help. For me, it was my children, my staff, for people in recovery. Like, I knew I wanted to find a purpose. And and my purpose was, I don't, there's so much abuse. And, and child molestation is not going away. It's still very much there. And there's a lot of people that live with that and in shame and quiet. And I wanted to be a voice that says, I'm not afraid to talk about it. Yes. and that you matter and it's okay and what you did wasn't your fault and right. and we're gonna and that's really sorry to get so impassioned no i love it thank you we encourage that okay you know um yes um can we talk about sex trafficking as at an all-time high now no one's talking about it you don't see it in the news you read all the stories and um and this childhood sex trafficking and just in general human sex trafficking is at an all-time high and that's another form of extreme abuse and um do you have any outreach do you talk about that on your platform at all you know, Pop, I need to be doing a lot more. So recently, I was volunteering with Streetlight USA, okay. which is an, orga- an organization that rescues girls that are victims of sex trafficking. They're 13 to 17. They rescue them and rehabilitate them. And yes. I was volunteering weekly uh, at the campus. I'm no longer able to do that due to some different time constraints. But my long-term goal is to do something very active in that arena, but you hit the nail on the head. It's despicable how much it's going on. It's very, very prevalent all around the world. There's tons of sex trafficking, and I'm even gonna tell you a little story, but basically, you know, in my spa, I have all kinds of clients, and I had a a higher-end client that was um, a high-up executive for a trucking company. And she said that you're not going to, because she knew I was volunteering with Streetlight. And she said, April, you would be horrified. She said, it is so prevalent with the trucking. So basically what these traffickers will do is take these kids, children, and girls and women that they've trafficked and use them as bait at truck stops all over the U.S. It's just constant. So she said, we're constantly dealing with it. You just wouldn't even believe the things I've heard about. And I, I was appalled. So, you know, part of my story is I am, you know, I'm doing my own things right now. My long-term goal would be to actually, you know, create my own charity that did a lot more for, you know, rescuing people and trafficking. But I think if we can find an organization that does and donate money, time or resources, and then just spread awareness, that's all we can do. I love it. I love it. Well said. Look at that. That was a lot of insight. Thank you for sharing that with us. Um, now, with uh, now, I want to ask you this: Did you did you ever have to go to therapy? Did you ever seek proper therapy for your childhood abuse? Did you ever address that specifically um, as a root cause to a lot of the problems that you experienced later on? And was there any mental health aspects related to the childhood abuse, such as maybe bipolar, besides PAT? PTSD is one. That's yeah. one. Um, anything else, maybe depression or anything, anything you could talk to us about that? Yeah. So, you know, what happened is the way my abuse got discovered was social workers, the school notified social workers as exhibiting signs. I ended up being in a lot of therapy as a child. I was constantly, and they would try, the crazy thing is they would try to get me to act out because it's a big thing with kids. They act out with their toys when they've been abused like that. So, it's crazy because you know you're smart even when you're five years old and they would put me in these rooms with glass and be like okay give me new toys you're gonna play for a while and then they'd leave and i'd be like i'm not gonna do anything here i don't know what these people think i would never say a word never would talk about anything with them i would never answer any questions i never acted out and i would literally go home and do it the whole night or whatever like i you it's so trippy to me now i feel so bad i can almost not to be weird but i can almost feel bad for that little girl like that's so horrible all these people wanted to help you and you were you were going through it so deeply but you knew how to block it and not show it so you know that's another thing people need to be aware about when dealing with children that they suspect might have you know been through something they're not going to necessarily show you but Um, So I had therapists and they tried, they tried their best and they were really 
some, you know, they had impact in my life. We were in Hawaii and you know, some would invite us over to their house and, you know, people tried to help me, but I was not able to be reached at that time. Right. Um, and it wasn't until I was in my early, I was 20, 2021 when I got my first full flashback, oh God, memories of everything that was going on in my childhood. And then they just really, and you know, I mean, that probably parallels really well with how my addictions got worse and worse, you know? Yes, right. So um, I would have flashback memories and I just, you know, I would go to therapy occasionally because I'm not afraid of therapy. But I don't know how to say it without, because I don't discount it. And I think people should get therapy and I willingly will do that as a routine checkup. But for me, working through the abuse was something I kind of did more in that one rehab facility in my early thirties. That was, we did EMDR therapy. Yes, yes. We did, we did a lot there. And then a lot of it was something I kind of just worked out through making a lot of mistakes. And I know that sounds bad, but you know, I, I had to kind of follow my own path. Hey, it sounds great. I mean, it doesn't sound bad because that's your truth, right? And we learned from, we fell forward, I like to say, in recovery. Like, hopefully you get to land on your feet. And between those rock bottoms, I think a lot of the lessons and experience is in between these relapses and in our rock bottoms. So, you know, being aware of that. Like, I remember if I, would, I, I relapsed twice and really struggled. Then I went on this extremely long stretch where it was just like, and that stretch took me to the ultimate truth of addiction, which is that hell that you talked about. You said it so well, this hell is real popping that. And most people don't understand that. When we're talking about recovering, we're talking about getting away from that hell, that darkness. I mean, you know, when you talk about waking up um, the day after you try to commit suicide with the Vicodins and stuff and that feeling being so close to death. I remember actually, and this is a trigger warning, but I remember holding the blade to my flesh and feeling that cold steel on my flesh and breaking down. And it was just because I was tired. I was so fatigued spiritually, psychologically, emotionally drained because this addiction was taking its toll. It was a pain in the butt, man. And I just was like, I'm done. But then I think the amount of work that it takes to recover for some people, they may feel like it's just easier to check out. But with a little bit of hope, you could take it all the way and reverse your life and really transform like in your case. And I think it's such a, a miracle. Um, so you get, you, you, you're two years sober, you, you, re, you transformed your life, you got to, you get kids back, you're in good graces with them. You and your husband as a family is working on recovery. Um, you got your business is thriving. And then you had this podcast. So can you tell us a little bit about the Abuse Recovery Success Podcast and what um, motivated you to start telling your story on such a major platform? Yeah, I can. And I, I have to circle back real quick because Dog, I want, okay. I want, sorry, I, I want to talk about the hell because you're the right. Hell. Yeah, the hell, like the I, I, it's people, oh my God, the darkness and how it follows you, the depths of that hell, that's the purpose of abuse recovery success. Amen. is to get go. people out of that hell that because hell. I've been there and it's like, you can't even, it's like a cloud over. You can't even go anywhere and not feel it. And again, it's that shame, but it's so dark. And it's like, I definitely, I actually was interviewing someone myself this today earlier. And she said, you know, she feels like the, the alcohol is poison or the devil or whatever you might want to say. And you know, I have that feeling and it, it can claw and ink out any light that you have. And then, you know, a big part of abuse recovery success is finding my own light on the other side of my darkness. Mm, because, I love that. because when someone goes through the things that I've gone through, there will always be, in my opinion, a little bit of darkness. And I had to find a way to let the light shine in and let myself deserve it. And if I could do that for other people, like the first time I was looking at where my podcast was like being listened to and there were yeah. people in Asia and Texas yeah. and I'm thinking, what if one of those people was ready to hurt themselves that right, right. What if one of those people was ready to give up, then maybe there was a reason I got to, that God let me 
wake up another day and I have to give back. I have to help somebody who's been through something or maybe even a younger girl or someone that's going through abuse and doesn't know how to find her voice or to get help. The purpose of my podcast is just also to have a place where you feel like, you know, nothing can't be said. Like I talk about everything, you know, and I'm not ashamed of the mistakes I've made anymore because somebody said this and I'm, I might murder this one, but they said, if you wouldn't do what you did before, then you're persecuting the wrong person. Mm. Like if you wouldn't do what you did before, then you're persecuting the wrong person. And I wouldn't do those things. Mm. I would always pick my kids first. Now I would mm. all, you know, I get to put that behind me. Yes. Yes. Like I do the abuse and I get to live in this day and be somebody that's valuable and worthy and okay. And if I can let other people feel that way and break those shame cycles, then, you know, I was put here for something. There you have it. I mean, look, I tell you, we survived that hell. And uh, it's a darkness that I, I mean, I'm glad you wanted to go back there because my greatest tip for anyone that's in recovery and they, and they want to maintain their recovery, I always say you need to have the brain of an elephant when it comes to the memory of an elephant when it comes to your darkness right? Because people get real comfortable in their recovery. Oh, I got this now. I'm the, I got, you know, I'm this new person. I think I can handle it. Then they, they play with the thoughts in their head because we relapse mentally and psychologically and emotionally and spiritually before we actually physically relapse. And that's playing with these ideas and fantasizing and not holding your reality firm. And how you keep your reality in check is you remember the darkness and you revisit it in a way where it's healthy to your recovery. So me, I sit back and I go, wow, man, like I remember laying on that cold floor and, you know, two years prior to that, I was partying in my own little mini mansion in Brooklyn and I was doing well. And then I wound up on this cold floor with no one around me alone, single, broken, feeling sick, nauseous, sad. I feel like my light was snuffed out all my potential was lost. And, um, and when I got sober, I started writing like poems and stuff. And I remember writing this thing called transformations and miracles. And I was talking about how my transformation was a miracle from God because I threw this Hail Mary in the darkness. And I said, God, I'm done. I'm dead. I'm on the floor. I'm on my knees in the middle of the street crying. This is a true story. This is a sober's dope story. One day I'm just literally just walking in the street and I break down and I give up. And I said, God, I'm done. I can't. I feel like something evil has me captured and I need your help. And I gave my whole life to God publicly. I had nothing. I lost everything. And it was my absolute last Hail Mary. It was like, God, I don't want to die. Help me. And that's when I found grace and a miracle of transformation and a miracle of the higher power, right? And I, I mean, I knew everything about religion and God at the point, but mm -hmm. I wasn't living that life. It was like as if I didn't even believe in the God the way I was carrying on. Yeah. But the little bit of hope I had, I was able to say, I need help. And whether I was talking to my ancestors, the angels, the God, I felt like God said, all right, kid, we heard you. Now let's go. What you want to do? And then I followed that to this day, but I always go back to how I felt right before I broke down that day on the street, that darkness, feeling that emptiness. So if you out there, ladies and gentlemen, and you're struggling with abuse and you're in an abusive relationship, one, ask for help. One, don't shame, don't be ashamed, don't feel like it's your fault. If you're struggling with addiction, know that you could get help. If you're in recovery and you feel like you're backsliding, remember the darkness, love yourself, and take the time necessary to heal. And you heard it from the best, April Hill. So April, what's in the future? What's in store for you in the future? And, um, you know, tell us a little bit about what you have planned um, with the podcast, your life, and spreading the message. Yeah. So, I mean, abuse recovery success is just going to keep going strong. We have amazing guests and we just focus on trying to help people that are suffering from abuse recovery, all of that. And for me, I guess I have a lot going on. I'm about to, you know, undertake possibly another location for my business and, nice. you know, planning and 
doing all that. So, you know, we're all navigating kind of strange times right now. I have a busy household with kids and managing all that. So I think for me, one thing I've learned too is to not spread myself too thin. I have a tendency to do so. So Yeah, so part of self-care is recognizing that, you know, I love my podcast. We're doing a lot. I love my business, but at the end of the day, you know, my addiction took me away from being a mom quite right. often. Uh, so I'm not going to let anything take me away from that job because that's the number one most important job now. Yes. And, right. you know, hopefully we just continue to grow and all get through these really tough times. But being a guest on, you know, your show has been a lot of fun. And, you know, honestly, just even talking to you right now has motivated me to do more. <laughs> Hey, thank you so much. Thank you so much. And um, how were you surviving through COVID? And um, any advice on how to stay sober through COVID? Any tips to the community? Jeez. Well, first of all, whoever knew I was supposed to be a school teacher, this has been (laughs) insane for me. But um, yeah, you know, I think it's just, you know what my, my sponsor said that was so funny? She said, April, guess what? When this all kind of first started, she said, the whole world is on our program now. And I said, what do you mean? One day at a time. Uh. <laughs> and it's like, you know, we don't have, you know, and also how about the serenity prayer? Like, you know, right. we have to control, you know, everything. So right. at the end of the day, things out of my control. I just, you know what I did? Honestly, Pop, I stopped. I took, I don't watch the news anymore. Okay. Um, I, you know, have been limiting social media time and utilizing staff to help because for me, like, I, if I can just make my staff happy, my family happy and spread the voice through the podcast and, you know, help others in recovery, I I can't control coronavirus or anything else. So for uh, those out there, you know, and especially those who've been maybe affected, you know, health wise or job wise, you know, I think not to sound cliche, like this too shall pass. And, you know, I, I listen to things all the time, you know, we're here to learn lessons, like life will find you no matter sober, not sober, like you're going to go through it. It's part of life. So, you know, try to think, I always think when shit was getting crazy and I didn't feel like it was my fault, you know, whatever business related, whatever, I'd always think, you know what, I am getting refined like a diamond right now. Like I am being put through this so I can be stronger. Somebody, I'm not a patient person. If somebody's putting me through something like that, I would think, hmm, I, you know, I need to be more patient. I'm working on this. One day, I found myself in so much negotiations, like on 20 things. I'm like, I, and I don't like being in negotiations. Yeah. And I thought, I guess I'm supposed to learn how to negotiate, you know, Ooh, and nice. you got to just kind of roll with it. That's it's easier when you roll with it. I love it. I love it. And um, April, I will say like two years of recovery is a sacred time. And um, I could give you a little advice for me being yeah. a little further. As you said it, the most important thing is having limits, prioritizing self-love. And I mean, knowing how to say no and being comfortable with it and prioritizing your, your your health and your mental health. So keep the good work up. But I tell people we burn out. It's my personality too. I'm a Libra and, you know, I, I tend to want to be, uh, I give a lot of myself to others and I try to be there for everyone. And, you know, I just turned 41 um, about three, four, on September 29th. This, uh, you look couple, great. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, thank you so much. And I was saying to myself, you know what? Now is the time in my life where I have to change the relationship with myself and the world. Like I have to put things in perspective and I have to have real limits. And, you know, do I want to go to this place today? No. Am I supposed to go? Or maybe it's the right thing to do. But if it's uncomfortable, if it does, if it triggers you, knowing your triggers and stuff like that. Hey, I learned so much today. Now, lastly, before we go, and I promise you, I'll wrap you here. Can you please give anyone out there that's being abused or anyone in the community some advice and tips and words of encouragement? Because every day they may be struggling and this message can get to them. And um, any love and light we could give to anyone out there that's struggling right now? Yeah, first things first, it's not your fault. You don't deserve it. You are not broken or wrong. And you deserve peace, happiness, and safety. And sometimes the only one we can count on is ourselves. So if you feel like you went and you've tried to get help in other places with other people, 
and you haven't been able to find that, don't give up. You are worth fighting for and never ever give up on yourself because there is a light and a, and a way around the tunnel and the curve and keep fighting. Wow. Ladies and gentlemen, you heard it from April Hill. April, can you let everyone know where to find you on social media? Yeah, please find me at April underscore the Hills. And also, if you want to check out our podcast, we have a website, abuserecoverysuccess.com. And I'd love to catch up with any of you guys. We love to support each other. Like I think Pop said, you know, the way we all help each other is staying connected and being there and letting our voices be heard. Amen. Ladies and gentlemen, you heard it from April. That's a wrap for our episode today on abuse recovery. You're listening to the Sober as Dope podcast. Don't struggle alone. I love you all, and we will catch you on the other side. God bless. <laughs>